Glad you're here. Can I pull you together? I know you want to get on to your Christmas festivities. It's all right. Thanks for coming. Excited to get to talk to you just before Christmas. Um, Fun times, I think, for most of us, and also some hard things going on this week for those of you who have in-laws in and people that you don't normally have in your house that you're trying to be nice to. I know how that feels sometimes, but we are... um, we're going to finish our sermon series called A Different Kind of Christmas today. Um, it'd be weird if we were still doing it next week since Christmas will be over. Um, so this will be kind of the culmination of this series today. And I want to talk to you about a different kind of Christmas. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what kind of Christmas you have. Mine growing up um, was, was pretty normal until my grandfather died. And when my mom's mom died, he died of cancer. And it was, it was quick. And he was young, younger than you know, it seemed right for him to be passing away. And it took our family kind of by storm, and it was, it was kind of a hard thing, and, and it came that Christmas, and my dad said he just felt like he wanted a different Christmas. He wanted to start some new things. He wanted to kind of jolt us as a family. Um, we were kind of stuck on, on that, um, that feeling of depressed, that feeling of um, sort of hopelessness. I don't know, maybe you feel stuck today. Um, in your life. Maybe there's a thing that you can't seem to get over. There's a moment where you feel like you're kind of doing the same thing every day. Kind of reminds me when my kids um, had DVD players in the car. I mean, DVD players are almost a thing of the past, but they had the DVD players in the car, and we put a DVD in for them. About an hour down the road, it would get stuck in the same place, you know, and it would play the same little frame over and over and over again, and my kids would start going, eh, you know, like, oh, well, the DVD player must be stuck. And that's what happens with your life. You know, you, you, in my life, you get stuck. You, you start having the same emotion. You start having the same kind of a thing. And if you're not careful, Christmas just becomes another day. It becomes another year of the same traditions and the same things. You kind of get stuck in your life. And you know what's amazing is I got real good at in the car. didn't even have to look. Those DVD players were on the back of my seat. And I knew if I heard the kids going, eh, they had headphones on, so you couldn't hear the, the DVD player. If I heard them start to go, eh, I knew the DVD was stuck. And you know what I'd do? Boom! Just hit it really, really hard, really swiftly. Now, not hard enough to break it, but hard enough to jolt it. Welcome to New Life. That's what I want to do for you today. I want to whack you a little bit. I, that that's kind of who I am as a preacher. It's kind of because I love you enough. If you're stuck right now, if you have that feeling that emotionally you're stuck, maybe you've got a situation in your life where you're stuck. Like I've just been, I'm so tired of talking to him that way and him talking to me that way. Or maybe it's just I, I this person in my life I've been mad at for so long. I'm so tired of this, and we're just stuck in this pattern of hating each other and not knowing why. Whatever that is today, I want to be that kind of a hit in your life so that you can get unstuck and move forward. Because what happens to my kids when they get stuck is the same thing that happens to you when you get stuck. You get whiny. You get tired. And it impacts all the people around you when you get that way. Not going to happen this Christmas for you. If I have anything to say about it, if God has anything to say about it today in your life, if you give him a moment today, this can be a different kind of Christmas for you. You can get unstuck. I'll give you a chance this morning 
um, to get your hearts right for that. Um, now, this, is, this unstuck thing and this move forward thing is not something that happens as a byproduct of you sitting in an orange pew on Sunday morning. That's not how this works. You have to do something. You have to move. And in order to do that, you've got to get your heart right. Some, some of you today are just totally consumed with something going on in your life. Some of you today are totally consumed with the fact that it's December 21st and you haven't even started Christmas shopping. I know. Um, or you're looking for something. Or my dad spent two hours on the phone yesterday with Amazon because he had a Christmas present that he ordered in November that kept saying it was going to be sent. And they fi- he got a message yesterday that it was back ordered until February. Um, so now the present that he's been thinking about giving is, is not coming, and it's stressful, and he's mad, and if, I don't know where you are right now. I want to give you a chance within the next 45 seconds of, of quiet space for you to just clear your heart. I don't know what you believe. Some of you here today, you're not even sure you believe this stuff. You're singing songs with words in it you've never heard before or you would never say outside of a church, and you just feel like it's weird, it's religious, it's strange. Whatever that is, if you're listening online, wherever you find yourself today, I want to give you a chance to just take a deep breath. Just take a moment to get perspective. No matter what you believe, no matter what you brought in here, right here, right now, you can put things in order in your life. You can get some perspective on your life. And if you can walk out of here just putting the things in order that are most important, you'll have a different kind of Christmas. So I want to give you a chance to do that. Just 30 seconds, 45 seconds, we're going to be real quiet. Whatever you've got, if, you're, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a God person, this is a great time for you to say, God, clear my heart of the junk that has, that has clouded my life. If you're not, you're kicking the tires on this thing, it's a great moment to say, God, if you're there, do something. <laughs> if you're there, I'm open. If you're not even to that point with God, this is a great moment for you just to be quiet. <laughs> you don't get that very often either. So any, wherever you're at today, let's take these next 30, 45 seconds and get quiet, and then we'll jump in together. God, right here in this moment, we just stop, put our life on pause, and choose instead of to speak, instead of to do, instead of to make another list, instead of to yell at this kid again, my wife again, my husband again, instead of the anger, instead of the thoughts about work tomorrow, we choose right now to pause our lives for this moment. So that we can get things straight. Would you give us new perspective? Would you speak into the lives of those who are mad at you? Would you speak into the hearts of those who aren't sure you're there? Would you speak into the lives of those who have been following for a long time and are stuck in a religious rut that makes Christmas the same for us as it is for anybody else? Would you move us today? Would you jolt us today? 
so that we can move forward to the peace and the hope and the joy and the things that you wanted for us since the beginning of time. We choose pause right now. Would you be honored by that and would you speak into our lives in your son's name? Amen. So when dad decided he wanted a different kind of Christmas for our family, he decided that it started with a Christmas tree. And we, have, uh, we live in a log home with about a 21-foot ceiling in the living room, which is beautiful. It sounds like a big house. That's about as big as the house gets. I mean, all the square footage is in the ceiling. It's a small place. But we have this huge ceiling in this Christmas tree. And every year, my dad would look at this fake 8-foot Christmas tree and think, what a waste. Like, shouldn't we get a bigger tree? And now, this is before you could go to Lowe's and buy, you know, a, a, a 14-foot, a 16-foot Christmas tree um, for, you know, 700 bucks if you want to spend that much money. So even if you could have then, he wouldn't have been able to do it. We live on 36 acres of land, so he decided he's going to cut his own tree from his own land and put it in the 20-foot ceiling in there. So he went out, and he got my brother and I all dressed up in our coats. This could be a scene from like a Christmas carol, Christmas story, something like that. And um, we got our coats on, and we went out, and Dad drug us out in the snow with the Jeep Cherokee, put it, locked it, he had the lock-in hubs, had to get out, lock in the hubs, drive out into the woods, and Dad looks up at a tree and goes, yeah, I'd call that a 21-footer. Good idea, right? Chainsaw, cuts it down, and it was a, it was a pine tree-ish. I, I wouldn't call it a Christmas tree, but it, it was definitely green, and, and it was an evergreen of some sort. He cut it down, and he, and he took the measuring tape, and he did one of those things where you try to measure, but the branches come out around. He's like, yeah, that's it, 21 feet-ish, you know? And we, we put it on top of the car, and it took all three of us. We got it on top of the car, and we strapped it on. And by the time we got it back to the house, it had fallen off the car. And so we had tied a rope around it, tied the rope to the hitch, and drug it back to the house. Yeah, it's looking real pretty right now. You can tell. So it's, it's taking with it all the, the snow and the dirt and the, the animals and anything else that was on the ground. It's taking with it. We got it up to the house, and I remember my brother at the time, he said, Dad, I, I just paced that off, and I got 38 feet. <laughs> That's it. Ah, nah, it's 20-ish. He said, we get it in there. We'll take some scissors and kind of snip the top, and it'll be all right. So we, we tied up the whole thing. I, I want you to picture this because you talk about a different kind of Christmas. So we tie up the whole thing with ropes because you're not going to get it in the house without it. We get it in the house. It took us 45 minutes just to get it in the house. Had to get it around the corner and into this room um, where we've got the big ceiling. We got it set up completely, and we went, ah. And we got back, and the whole thing, nine feet, is bent over in the, the top of this house. So Dad did what any good hillbilly Christmas father would do. He said, John, get me the chainsaw. <laughs> and i got to tell you, that Christmas, I, I will never forget the smell of gasoline, cedar, and the candle my mom was burning in the house, in the living room, when my dad fired up the chainsaw in the living room of my house on Christmas. And I have this all on video. And my mom's in the corner going, what are we doing? So dad hacks off as high as he can, like eight feet of this tree in the house, got it sideways, you know, boom, it hits the ground and falls over. And now we've got it jammed in the house. So dad looks up and he says, guys, we've got to get this thing set up. And there's a window in the top of the A-frame, all right? So he gets a ladder, and he says, bring the Jeep around to the other side. 
throws a rope through the window and ties it to the tree so that we can start to pull the tree back up. Well, the tree got stuck, and the window frame starts cracking because the Jeep's going, and nobody can yell at my brother loud enough to get him to stop pulling with the Jeep. So dad's out there jumping up and down. The tree is finally, we finally get the tree up. And once we get it up, it just won't stay up. So, you know, dad's saying, well, we could just leave the Jeep out there. And uh, no, 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 no. So he goes out and he gets some eye hooks out of the garage and bungee cords the tree to the wall. Stands back and my poor mom, I'll never forget it, four of us standing there looking at this tree. Most of it, most of the room was tree. And she, he, dad said, isn't it beautiful? And about that time, something moved. Yeah, there was a red-breasted nuthatch nest in the tree that none of us had seen. And it took up residence with us at Christmas, and we had a good Christmas with all these. But this, this started a tradition that changed the way we did Christmas. And it got better, but not much better, to the point where... When my wife came into the family, she's an interior designer. She's got a lot of background with some decorating and that kind of thing. She came in, and Dad said, where are we going to cut the tree? And Risha said, Lowe's. (laughs) That's where we're going this year. And it's been the best decision we've made. It's beautiful. It goes to the top, and it's just a wonderful thing. We're not doing that anymore. But all because my dad wanted to just change things up. He wanted things to be different because when, when you get in a rut, when things get emotional, when things get hard, you just need something God knows it in your life. And maybe your Christmas isn't simple. <laughs> maybe it looks a lot like what I just explained. It's crazy. It's hillbilly. It's, it's a little out of the ordinary. Maybe your Christmas isn't simple. Maybe it's not even normal. But God wants you to know that this, this Christmas, that there are some things um, that you can do to begin to jolt the way you do life to begin to hear this message a little bit different. The thing about Christmas is it exaggerates all the good things and all the bad things. This picture of Cousin Eddie, oh, you can't see it very well, but um, the picture of Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation um, just always reminds me that there's some, no matter how Clark, if you've seen this movie, if you haven't seen this movie, as soon as this sermon is over, go watch this movie. Um, uh, I just absolutely love this movie. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Um, because there's this sense that there's some wonderful things, and Clark, you know, Chevy Chase's character, wants everything to be so good, and he's got this optimistic view on everything, until he just snaps. And then he's, you know, if you remember the scene where he's got the chainsaw in the house, he's doing sort of the same kind of thing, and he, he's got the null post that keeps uh, rattling, and he finally just cuts it off. Fix the null post, he said. You know, and he, he just goes nuts. And it's because at Christmas, the same thing happens in your house too and in your life. Christmas exaggerates all the great things that are going on in your life right now. The family comes around, the good things, but it also exaggerates the bad stuff, the people you miss, the people you're mad at, the frustrations with family and friends and people that you spend a lot of time with. All of that gets exaggerated, and God knows that. And the story of Christmas, if we're not careful, it becomes a a nativity scene from Disney. And you've heard me say this if you've been around here a lot, that our tendency as religious people or as church people ends up being that we think of Christmas as this pretend Disney nativity where these weren't normal people and they're not, they're, they're not usual everyday people. And the truth is the nativity scene was very real. It was very, very gross. 
It was very harsh. And God could have sent Jesus, he could have sent this little baby, the hope of the world, into a king's mansion, into a palace. And he chose a poop-filled stable. He chose a smelly barn. He chose a, a poor man and a woman who weren't thought of as religious, who weren't thought of as the peak of people who were close to God, to say to you and me, this gift is for us. It's for all of us. Luke says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. You've heard this before. Even if you're not a church person, you've heard this. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, I, I don't know about you, but at Christmas time, um, there are some people who don't bring great joy to Christmas. Um, my dad's call with Amazon yesterday, case in point. They're not real interested in you having a good Christmas. They're real interested in seeing how much money they can pile in and then counting it sometime mid-January, right? There's a lot of people who aren't interested in making Christmas joyful. And if you've been around a church person, if you've been around a Christian, if you've been around a preacher, if you've been around a church who somehow make Christmas something other than joy, make something other than good news, they have given you the wrong message. Because the, the message of Christmas was God's gift. Now, now, when you've given a gift at Christmas, normally there aren't any strings attached, right? Now, one of, my, one of my pet peeves is when, and I don't have any family member that does this anymore, but my grandmother used to, and I think I preached enough and I've used this illustration enough that she quit doing this, but she would buy me things that she knew I was going to take back. She knew they didn't fit, or she knew I wouldn't like them, and she'd put the gift receipt on the inside, and as soon as, I mean, before I even get the thing open, she goes, now, John, if you don't like that, you can take it back. So what, what she gave me for Christmas was an errand. Yeah, it was something to do after Christmas. I had to do something now with this gift that it was given to me, and that was really the, that was the string attached to this gift, and, and I think a lot of us view the gift that Jesus, of Jesus, God's gift to the world, this forgiveness, this savior of the world, this person who is going to lead us to a different kind of life of peace and hope and joy, like that gift, like a strings attached gift, like, you know what, you can have this, but you got to do some things. Now, what if you were to give your kids a gift like that today? You know, this Christmas, if you, they were to unwrap something and just say, okay, congratulations, I got this Nerf gun I've all been, always been wanting. Thanks, Mom. Okay, I'm going to take that back. And now you've got to clean your room. Then you've got to eat your broccoli for a week. Then you've got to go out and you've got to do these chores and these chores and these chores, plus you have to behave. And if you can prove that you can do all of those things, then you can have my gift. What a terrible gift, right? Don't you, wouldn't you just want to say, Mom, I don't want the gun. I don't want the Nerf thing. I don't, want the, I don't want that gift. But the truth is, this is the way we talk about God's gift of Jesus. Like somehow God has said, I want to give you salvation. I want to give you this thing that will change your life. And somehow we talk about it like God is going, yeah, but you don't get it if. And the truth is, the good news that was, was brought to us on Christmas was much better than that it was no strings attached and the reason luke says it's for all the people that sounds pretty good to us because we sing songs about all the people red and yellow black and white they're precious in his sight but at this point in history there was a small group of people that believed that jesus had come for them that he was their messiah that he was their king that he was just for them and when luke said this is for all people it was really really harsh to a group of people who, who wanted to keep Jesus for themselves. And that still happens today. 
There's a group of religious people, there are a group of Christians who believe that Christmas should be theirs. And they're so upset about when somebody says happy holidays to them that they won't even say happy holidays back. Or they're so mad that they're not saying it the way that the Christians say it. Or that that Jesus is just for me and you need to celebrate the way I celebrate it. You need to talk about it the way I talk about it. They get so upset if other people aren't doing it the way they're doing it. What Luke says is, this Jesus, this gift isn't just for you. This is for people who don't understand it yet. This is for people who can't speak English. This is for people in America right now who are living in gutters and are freezing cold this morning. This Jesus is for people who are addicted. This Jesus, this gift is for people who are so broken that the world has pushed them away. That is the good news. The good news is not straighten up. God's in town. You know, I think a lot of people think of of, the, of Jesus coming to town the way the Santa Claus song is, you know? Santa's coming to town, you better watch out. You better not cry, you better not pout, you better not do anything bad, you better not sin, you better not mess that up, you better not say that again, you better not do this, because Jesus is coming to town and he's going to get you. That's the way they talk about Christmas. And the good news is so much better than that. The good news is not get back in church. Jesus is here. The good news is not give your life to God. Jesus is here. The good news is not a list of things because Jesus came to earth. Things that you have to do to receive this gift. That's not the good news at all. In fact, that kind of news is not even worth sharing very much. Strings attached kind of news like that. But this news is so much better. Here's the way John says it. You've heard this before, but I want to pick it apart because this is what John says the good news is about. If you were here last week, you know we talked a little bit about this guy named John who was a good friend of Jesus, and the reason I like going to his gospel and his, his writings around this time is because he was really, really close to Jesus and Jesus' family, and Mary specifically. And when, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked down at John and Mary. Uh, Mary was his mother, and he looked down at her, and he said, John, Mary is now your mom. Mary, John is now your son. And for the rest of Mary's life, John took care of Mary. And for the rest of her life, he, he listened to stories about Jesus growing up. Stories that we don't know about. And he knew Jesus so well, and he knew Mary so well. When he writes, it just it says something different to me because of who he was. And this is the way he describes the gift that God gave us in Jesus. So I, I, I want to pick this apart today, but um, I, I want to just make this as simple as possible for you today. Some of you have heard this scripture. I'd like for you to erase it, if you can, from your memory. One of my favorite movies is Men in Black. And you know they have those... Uh, glasses that they put on and then they have the little flashy thing where they erase your memory i wish i could do that to you today because i'm the scripture i'm about to read for people who have heard this a lot for people who have been in church and listened to this uh, this scripture a lot you have these connotations with it i wish you could just forget so as close as you can today if you could look at this fresh john says this for god so loved the world now if you look on facebook and what what a lot of Christians post, you wouldn't think that it was love that God has for the world. For God was so mad at the world. For God was so fed up with the way people do sexuality. For God was so mad at people who didn't agree with him. But that's not the story. The story is, for God so 
loved the world. I mean, I could stop right there, could I not? I'm not going to. Don't go anywhere. But if you could just get that this Christmas, that God didn't, that God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus to disagree with the world. He didn't send Jesus to punish the world. He sent Jesus because he so loved the world. And he so loved the world that he gave. This time of year, I think the biggest problem we have, the biggest obstacle we have to happiness at Christmas, and really any time of year, but especially at Christmas, is materialism. You've heard that word, materialism. And you've probably accused your kids of being materialistic or your neighbor who has a lot of stuff of being materialistic, but you have never really looked at yourself because materialistic is really hard to see in the mirror. You don't look at it and go, boy, have I become materialistic. It's always somebody else that's become materialistic. It's really hard to see this in yourself. But the truth is, if you're sitting in this room today and you're an American, there is some sense of materialism in your life. And it is killing your joy. The way to get away from that, if you're dealing with that in your life right now, or if you see that in your kids at Christmas right now, Maybe you see that in yourself. Maybe you see that in your family. Maybe you see that in your children. Maybe you see that in your grandchildren. There is a recipe for killing materialism. It's the word give. It's the antithesis of materialism. When you are materialistic, you want things. You want to get things, and it's an addiction. You've got to have more. You've got to have more. You've got to have more. It's the feeling that you get when you're a kid, and you get it when you're an adult, too. You just don't admit it. When all the presents are unwrapped. And you look under the tree, and no matter how many you unwrapped, no matter how big a pile of stuff you have sitting next to you, you always look and go, is that all? Now, if your kids say that, you, you shake your finger at them. But in your heart, you go, is that all? Is there, isn't there more? Because materialism always leads to looking under the tree for more. It always leads to needing more. And the recipe, it's real easy. The recipe to kill materialism is to give. If you find it this year at Christmas, wagging your finger at your kids, telling them not to be so needy, not to be so selfish, doesn't help, does it? It just makes you feel guilty. What changes people is giving. I'll never forget my parents when I was growing up. They must have sensed this in my brother and I. And they decided they were, we were going to share our Christmas. And it's one thing for, for you to give gifts like this, which is amazing. I come in here and I see these gifts and I just think, oh, I'm so proud of my people and my church. and I love this. And that is one level of giving. The another level of giving is life. It's giving part of your life. And my mom decided that my brother and I, we must have been pretty materialistic as kids. Because she decided that we needed to give part of our Christmas. Not just the gifts, but part of our actual experience at Christmas to somebody who didn't have it. So she would invite people into my house. I can remember at least three little kids that we've invi- she invited into our house who were, um, were from an orphanage or who had some serious problems, didn't have any family, that were invited into our house, and she would take, you know, my parents were both teachers, they had no money, and so whatever money that we, we were gonna spend, they were going to spend on us at Christmas, she would take that money and she would divide it by three. Third for me, third for my brother, and a third for random person that I don't even know. A third, a third for somebody who I didn't choose to give to. My mom randomly chose somebody, in my mind, 
that not only do I have to share my presence with, but I have to be a little more behaved on Christmas. I have to share the toys I already have with this person. I have to give up my dad's time and my mom's time just a little bit on Christmas to somebody I don't even know. And I think through all the Christmases that I remember as a kid, and the ones that always pop first are these three little kids that I still couldn't tell you their names. I remember their faces. I remember what it was like to feel like the things that are under the tree for me weren't near as important to me as they were to her. I remember as a five, in, in fifth grade, 10 years old, looking at this girl for the first time in my life and thinking, give her another one. I, I didn't even want my own. I mean, I wanted them, but it was like I, I didn't, it wasn't my turn. It was supposed to be my turn to open presents. You know how you take turns, and I just, no, it's her turn again. Give, give her another one. Is that because I'm a good kid? No, I wasn't. It's because giving changes you. Now, we do it backwards. We say, well, first you've got to change, and then you'll give. That's not the way this works. And that's why, as a preacher here at, your, at the church at New Life, I'm always telling you I, I hate to talk about money because preachers talk about money, and it makes them sound like all they want is money. God doesn't need your money. He wants your money because it changes you when you give it. When you choose to give, then you change. That's the way this works. If you found yourself materialistic, if you found yourself looking under the tree for more this Christmas, find a way to give. It will change you. It will change your kids. And God gave us the example. He so loved the world. He didn't buy it something. He gave of himself and he gave his only son we were reading this this week this has nothing to do with my sermon but i just think it's funny we're reading this week um because I, I was so excited about preaching this for christmas and i said guys you can you know the for god to love the world and of course they both recited it and reese said dad i got a question about that and i think oh here we go reese always has great questions and he said i don't understand the only son thing really he said yeah I don't, I don't understand the only son thing with jesus because jesus had a brother right Whoa, we got a whole other conversation here about virginity and about the virgin birth and about all that stuff. And so every time I read this, I'm thinking about my son. And I had to explain to him that at that point, this was God's son. It was his only son, and that's why how it works. So what, however, you, however you think about this scripture today, this is something that God gave of himself. Some of you are hurting financially, and it's hard for you to give gifts but a lot of you are doing okay or at least well enough that putting presents under a tree for somebody isn't that much of a sacrifice but w- what if you gave of yourself what do you mean well here's what i mean somebody around you owes you something this christmas somebody in your life some relative owes you an apology owes you a conversation What if you gave of yourself to a point this year where you could say, no apology needed, no conversation needed, I'm giving to you. Give of your life, give of yourself, find a way to give the way God gave. It's why we give at Christmas, it's why we open presents, because we're supposed to be doing it the way God did. But the truth is, God didn't go to Walmart the last minute and buy something off the shelf. He gave deep into himself and he sacrificed greatly. That is the spirit that started Christmas. 
For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. Desperately, emotionally loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This conversation about eternal life is still confusing. It's still hard for us to get. At this point in history, when, G, when, uh, when John said this, and when Jesus was talking about eternal life, people completely couldn't get this. They thought, and by the way, I think a lot of us in this room have this thought, that eternal life starts when you die. That somehow... That, that gift of eternal life starts the moment you die. From then on, you get the gift that Jesus has provided with eternal life. That's not how Jesus talked about eternal life. And that's not how John talked about eternal life. When he talks about life, about the kind of life that Jesus gives, he talks about a life that starts the moment you choose Jesus over the world. The moment that you look into the story of Christmas and you say, that good news was for me, I accept. I receive that. I take it. John says, that's the moment eternal life starts. Now, what's the difference between that and wait until you die? One, you start now, living forever. There is a gift here. There is a promise here of when you pass away from this earth that you'll, you'll, your spirit, your, your spiritual side, your soul moves on. But the truth is, the things that you're doing right now, the, the, the ways that you're relating to God, the stories that you're telling your children, the moments that you're having, these are things that you will take with you to eternal life. So it's not as though things stop when you die and then they start again in the hereafter. The truth is you start eternal life the moment you accept this gift. And if you see it that way, it changes the way you live here. What it means is the peace that comes later that a lot of people talk about. I have friends who are aging and they say things like this. Boy, I'm just ready to go home. Christian friends who mean well when they say, I'm just ready to go to heaven. Just ready to go home. Like somehow things start again. Now there is a promise of a different kind of peace, a promise of a different kind of place, a different kind of hope with no, no tears. And no, but the truth is what God wants for you is that peace to start now. The promise of Christmas is a different kind of life that starts now. Would you do me a favor, those of you who have accepted this gift, would you not settle for a Christmas without peace? Would you not, and you got four days before Christmas, would you do whatever it takes to have a Christmas that includes peace? Because that's the promise with, that comes with this gift. And if you don't choose it, if you don't accept it, if you don't work towards it, you're just settling for the same kind of Christmas that people that haven't received this gift have to settle for. Next slide, Tanya. John says this as he's talking about Jesus. And Jesus is trying to explain what eternal life is. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And he says, <laughs> this is funny because Jesus is praying, but he prays kind of like you do with your kids, you know. You're kind of teaching a little bit too. 
One of my favorite prayers in this church is Linda Alexander. I don't know if you, she's not here today, but you ask her to pray at the end of the service, and she prays, and she prays to God, and then she kind of admonishes the whole congregation in the midst of it. You've heard that prayer, you know, where there's a little bit of teaching, and there's a little bit of statement, and then there's back to God. That's the way Jesus does right here. He says, now this is eternal life. You think God needs to know this? No, it's the people that are listening to Jesus pray. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So I'd like to ask you this Christmas, do you, do you know him? Do you just have signs up in your house that say Jesus is the reason for the season? Do you just have a little angel on the top of the tree? Do you just have a little baby in a manger and a pretend nativity? Or do you know the baby? Because knowing him changes everything. Next slide. And give you a chance for a different kind of Christmas. This Christmas. It's, it's an interesting thought that we have the same exact kind of Christmas every year and that we kind of do the same things. And, and we know, I, I had this thought this, this morning. I got in the shower and I woke up and I thought, by this time next week, all those pretty presents that Risha wrapped will all be gone. And there's this like, <sighs> we have another year. The truth is, it can be more than that. It can be more than that to you. It can be more than that to your family. This Christmas, you can give of yourself. You can choose to know the gift and not just receive it. Hmm. I want you to remember this Christmas that God loved the world. He didn't play games. What if you did this Christmas, loved your family the way God loved the world? I know that sounds trite, so I want to wake you up for a moment, okay? I know it sounds trite, but what if it really happened? Like you really chose the people that are closest to you, that you loved them in a way that God loved the world. And the way that God loved the world was not to point fingers and say, if you do this, then I'll love you. Not to look at people and say, if you treat me this way, then I'll treat you this way. It's not to look at people and say, you owe me this, and until you give me that, I'm going to give you the silent treatment. Or the cold shoulder, or the other euphemism for the way that we treat people when we're passively, aggressively trying to get something from them. You have a choice this Christmas to love the way God loved. God gave Jesus instead of demanded. I mean, he's, God is the creator of all of us. He could have looked down and said, I want to get this from you. And we've said this all the time. He could have put a pull string on our back so that when he wanted us to say something or do something, we would do exactly what he wanted. But he knows that love is better than that. That it's a choice. And he wanted us to choose to love him. So he gave. Not something cheap he found at the store. But he gave of himself. And so we believe. John 3.16 says, those who believe in him shall have eternal life. If you've heard it, I meant to have a stool up here. Here it is. If you ever heard, it, heard me talk about believe, you know what I'm going to do with this stool, don't you? You've been around this church. But I want to keep saying it because I want you to have this picture. When somebody says believe, here's the picture we have. Oh, I'm trying really hard to believe. Like when, when my kids, my kids never got Santa Claus. They never thought Santa was real. And I don't know why. I, I, we never told them he wasn't. It was just like my son came home one day and he was like, Dad, these kids keep talking about a guy, fat guy with a white beard that comes down the chimney. And to him it was like, have you seen our chimney? It's like this big. 
And, and there was just never a moment. And I, I remember thinking, he should believe, and I don't want him to have to, his kids, the kids at school, he's going to ruin it for him. So I was like, so Reese, but what, it, what about the whole presence thing? You know, the, your presents say from Santa on them. He's like, Dad, like you couldn't write from Santa on my presents. I mean, he was just completely eye roll from the beginning. And there's a moment where I want, and I realized, what do I want him to do? Sit there and go, I believe, I believe, I believe, and try? Because that's not the way belief works, right? And when, when it comes to God, when it comes to believing that Jesus is real, that this baby wasn't just a baby born 2,000 years ago in a stable, but that he is God and wants to live in life with you and wants to do life with you and bring you a different kind of peace, the way you believe is not to close your eyes and try because it doesn't work anyway. The word believe that's used here in the Greek language is a word that means lean, like you do on a stool, you know? I see, what I, what, what I believe about this stool doesn't matter at all. If I believe that stool will hold me, if I believe with all of my might that this stool will hold my weight, and I look at it and go, you know, it's a little rickety, and it's kind of old, and I know the guy who built it, and he wasn't very smart, and so that thing's not going to hold me. And if I start to believe, okay, well, you know what? I changed my mind. The guy is pretty smart, and that stool is pretty strong. The only way to test my belief is to do what? Lean in and put my weight on it. Now I believe. You see the difference? This that stool will hold me, that stool will hold me, that stool will hold me, is not belief. Now I believe. So singing songs about Jesus is not belief. Telling your kids the Christmas story and pretending you've got a lot of energy in it is not belief. Showing up on Sunday to sit in an orange pew and nod your head when the preacher talks about belief is not belief. Belief is leaning on God. It's saying, all right, God, preacher says all this stuff about you, then I really am going to trust you. What if I really did give of my life? I got all these bills to pay. Preacher says, you want me to give? I'm just going to try it. All right, God. I got all this emotion, all this baggage, all this messed up stuff. Preacher says, I can cuss at you if I want to, if that's what's in my head, because you already heard it anyway. Preacher says, I can be as mad at you as I want to. I, I guess I'm just going to get it out. I'm just going to believe. This is belief. This is what God wants from you. It's not a list of things to do. It's to lean into him, especially when things are hard, to lean into him. And then the gift is we receive a different kind of life. A life that on December 26th, when you're cleaning up all the newspaper, or I mean all the newspaper, uh, all, the, all the wrapping paper, when you're eating the leftovers and you're starting to think about going back to work, the life, the peace that passes all understanding is still available. Band, you guys can come up. So just in case you didn't get it, I pictured John when he wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You've heard that scripture. You've seen it at ball games. People write it up on signs and hold it up. 
when he wrote that, he was probably writing it with somebody who um, was dictate. He was dictating to, so they were writer, and he's talking. And my guess is he had a group of people around him that were kind of listening, and they're going. Uh, John says, "I need to add something to the for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him." will not die, but will have eternal life. And everybody around him goes, yes, that's awesome. That's it. And John's sitting there going, no, there's more. Everybody goes, no, that's it, John. He says, no, somebody's going to mess this up. Somebody's going to think they have to earn it. Somebody's going to think that God wanted something really, that he gave because all people give, but they really want to be thanked or they really want to just... They want something for themselves. They really want to feel something. So I want to tell people that God wasn't in it for himself. And so he added this line. He said, this is John chapter 3, verse 17, right after the most famous piece of scripture in our culture. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him what's in it for god just you i can imagine the people sitting around john going you really think we need to add that john said yeah because at some point christians will accept this and then they'll start condemning the world thinking that's what god wants from them They'll start pointing fingers at people who don't believe what they believe, who don't have the same skin color that they do, who don't speak the same language they do, who don't live the same lifestyle they do. And they'll start saying, God wants you to be different or he doesn't love you. And John says, we just can't have that because that's not the good news. So today, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever leans into him with their life will not die but can have a life that starts now that is different for God did not come into this world to condemn the world but to save it would you live like that this Christmas if you do it'll be different did you know you can know where you stand with God today You can walk out of this place not wondering how God feels about you. You can walk out of this place today not knowing whether or not you would kind of have this life that we're talking about if you were to die today. You can can know today how God feels about you. And he says, if you just lean into me, if you accept this gift and just lean into me, you're in. Have you trusted him that way? Have you believed in him by leaning in him? Or have you just talked about it? Have you just hung signs in your yard and put those plastic nativity things in the front? Maybe you've slipped away. Maybe you've got stuck at some point. What you needed today was a jolt. I'm going to ask those of you who have been doing this a long time. I can see it on your faces this morning. You are mad at somebody. They owe you something. And I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care who says what. I'm going to get what I'm owed. Let me remind you, you don't want that with God. If you could give it up today, 
It'll change your Christmas. Those of you who've been doing this a long time, don't mess up the good news at Christmas, please. Please don't mess this up. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave with no strings attached. And then finally, those of you who have kind of got tired of the religious thing, don't miss the good news. Don't miss it because preachers have made it something it's not. It's for you, and it's real, and it's available today. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I'm going to tell you about a little moment I had. You can stand up. I had this moment this morning where I, I dreamed, daydream, you know, it was just a regular daydream, that there's a bunch of you in here today that heard for the first time today that belief is just leaning in Jesus, leaning on top, just leaning on him for your life. That you heard today that there are no strings attached. This is the first time you ever heard it. And that this Christmas will be different than any Christmas you've ever had when you realize the peace that comes with knowing where you stand with your Creator. It's available to you today. Normally I go back there in that corner, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to sit right there in that orange pew. And if today you decided today is my day, yeah, but don't I have to be a this first? Nope. You accept the gift and you become, as a response to the gift, what God wants from you. And we help you with that here. Yeah, but don't I have to? No. Right here, right now, today can be your day to lean into Jesus, to accept the gift that was given thousands of years ago to you. I'm going to sit right there. I'd be glad to help you receive that today. It's between you and God, but I'd be glad to help. You sing this song. If you need something, I'll be right here this morning.